You're listening to the Access Success Podcast, produced by AccessU, a division of Access Advertising and Public Relations. Hey, let's do something big. I'm your host, Rachel Schneider. Welcome to the Access Success Podcast, where we highlight important topics focused on education in every form it takes. Today's episode is all about rolling with the punches and evolving, whether that be in your life, your business, or technology. I talked to McKenna Wrights, a TEDx speaker who challenges men and women to reframe life's challenges into gifts and opportunities so they can pursue their purpose with clarity and confidence. After losing all her hair due to alopecia, McKenna uses her journey of having this autoimmune disease to help others overcome the loss in their life by resetting the mindset of their loss into growth and opportunities in their lives. You may have seen her on Good Morning America, CBS, Yahoo News, Cheddar News, or Forbes, just to name a few. But perhaps the most impressive thing about her is that she's a teacher on the daily in Ohio, and she was recently featured in USA Today talking about tech in schools and how educators are maximizing digital tools. Take a listen. So McKenna, once again, thank you so much for being able to join us on the Access Success Podcast. I know it's been um, a long time since we've seen each other in person, but I'm so glad that I got to meet you while I was working in Toledo in the news, and you've been on the news a whole lot more since the last time I saw you. I have, and thank you so much for having me. It is so great to see you, and what you're doing is just absolutely amazing. Well, thank you. But I think what you're doing also is super amazing. Um, For people who are not familiar with your work so far, can you tell us about your journey as a thought leader and inspirational speaker and just how you got to where you are? Yeah, I am actually, today is our first day of school. So I am in my 18th year of teaching, which is crazy to say. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm (laughs) teaching, I teach AP psychology. So to juniors and seniors, I am also in my 18th year of coaching varsity volleyball. Uh, I am also prom advisor and students in action and national honor society. So I'm heavily involved with our high school, but I'm also a mom and a husband or my husband is absolutely amazing. Uh, But my journey has been a little bit different. You know, when we connected. It was through uh, philanthropy is a really big piece of my heart and giving back to our community and taking care of those who are really in need is really important aspect of our society. And that's how we were able to connect. And so I've uh, allowed and embraced philanthropy to help me get through life challenges. Uh, In November of 2015, I lost all of my hair within three weeks due to an uh, autoimmune disease called alopecia which attacks your hair follicles and causes your hair to fall out. And it's been a journey to say the least. But when I was able to reframe my mindset of understanding that this life challenge is a gift and opportunity for me to find the silver linings and to be able to thrive because of it, that life has happened for me and not to me, has completely changed my outlook on life and how I interact with you know, my students and my daughters and my student athletes and myself all in general. Well, and I know you've got a busy schedule, but can you tell us what led you to be a teacher specifically in in psychology? Yeah. uh, You know, it's kind of fascinating. I actually majored in history. And when I got my position at where I'm at right now at Springfield High School, 
Um, they, I was teaching history, but they also needed a, someone to teach a psychology elective course. And I volunteered to do it. And we all know that when we teach ourselves um, material, we actually learn it at a much deeper processing level. And so I really took on psychology and it had been a course that had been passed around from teacher to teacher of kind of, uh, you know, the, the mutt of the social studies department. And I took it on and fell in love with it because what I have the, the opportunity to do is to teach life. And I live by a quote in my room, psych is life. Everything that we do is connected between our mind and our body. And I have the privilege of teaching uh, juniors and seniors who are at the helm of making really big decisions in their life. And, um, you know, being able to be a part of that process and be able to widen their bubble and expand their perspective and their outlook on life um, is a real honor. And then I started teaching AP psychology seven years ago. I was inspired by our AP physics teacher at that time. Uh, to take it on and take that challenge on. And now I only teach psychology. And so I get just to have great discussions about life in general. And it it almost acts as a therapy session for me as well, because we do a lot of talking, but do we do a lot of walking? And so it's just great reminders of the the person that I am being the vulnerable, authentic self in front of my students allows them to know that they're not alone in their journey, that we're all battling something my battle, my journey just happens to be visible where they get to hide. And I've been there before and I want them to know that they're not alone. Well, I've never taken one of your classes, but I can tell just by the passionate way that you talk about it, that I know that um, I would learn a lot because I know I've learned a lot just speaking with you uh, professionally. So speaking about technology and education, what has your relationship with that been like and maybe how has that evolved, especially over the past few years? Yeah, you know, technology, I was part of the generation where technology started to kind of become a part of your everyday life, you know, going all the way back to dial up and AOL and having a computer in classrooms, playing Oregon Trail, you know, <laughs> doing that. But, you know, I've I've seen the whole progression within the classroom. And when I started in my classroom here, we still had a couple overhead projectors where you use transparencies and you're still writing. And the evolution of technology has happened quickly and it needed to obviously um, as our society and the accessibility for just our students of being heavily connected. And so we need to make sure that we are as effective with, uh, with generation Z. Um, we can't stick with our old times of this is how we used to do it in our old day. We have to be flexible. And we learn that because of COVID in life in general. And technology had to change due to COVID. Uh, when, you know, I still remember it was March 13th because it was the day before my daughter's birthday when we were saying, hey, we're not going to have school next week. We don't know what's going to happen. And we were just, you know, throwing at the wall, hoping something would stick of, okay, we're going to have class at 11. And, but it still allowed us to stay connected. And that's what people needed during time of shutdown was just being connected, of having conversations with other human beings that aren't within your household and some who are left alone. And so that opened up Pandora's box. 
whether you look at it in a negative aspect or a positive aspect, uh, because there's always negatives and positives to everything, especially when it comes to technology, but it's given us the accessibility. And what we do with that accessibility is our responsibility and teaching the accessibility is also our responsibility. Yes, my students have cell phones. Yes, my students have now Chromebooks, which they didn't have before. We were not one-to-one -one before COVID. Now we are one-to-one. -one. It is my responsibility in my, you know, of my profession, but also as being a human being of teaching us how to responsibly use technology. And so uh, I, as a psychology teacher, you know, use a lot of studies to show that still putting pen to paper is going to be much more effective when it comes to encoding information than it is typing. And so I really push that uh, in my classroom, but I also have to teach them because it is a college class that when they go off to college or they go off into the real world, they have to learn what is most effective for them. And so I allow them to utilize technology to their best ability. But when I see that it's not being effective, that's when I step in. And that is the beauty of teaching juniors and seniors is that I have that capability of allowing that leash out a little bit more. Um, but it's just, it's opened up so many possibilities and so many opportunities for myself as an educator and my students as learning, you know, mechanisms um, to, to become more effective citizens. Which leads me to, you know, my next topic here, because we've seen lots of studies in the past about how many college students don't understand or they don't know how to study and manage themselves in their workload. And those studies have talked about how, you know, in high school, you have a, a teacher in the classroom and you're expected to turn in those assignments every day and you're physically going there, you know, now with uh, technology, you may get a ping or emails versus in college, your professors may not do that. So can you talk about too the habits that you've been able to form or some of those lessons that you've been able to teach your students when it comes to using technology responsibly, but also making sure they know how to manage themselves and their workload without that connection? I think the biggest thing is that they are becoming consciously aware of how distracted of a society we live in. We live in a very overstimulated society and, and our freshman classes, we have a class called high school success and they have a, an, uh, just like my phone just lit up, either I allow it to distract me or I continue on. But the thing is, is that they have a, uh, a simulation where they have up on the board, every time you get a notification, whether it's on your Apple Watch or on your phone, um, whether you know whether it lights up, you get a notification, you get a ping, I want you to go up and put a tally mark of what type of notification, text message, social media, um, you closed all of your rings, whatever it may be. And it was astonishing how many tally marks there were in just 15 minutes there were over 200 tally marks. What? For right. a class of how many students again? A class, I would say maybe 15. Oh, wow. And that is, so every time, regardless if I'm teaching or not, go up and put a tally mark. And that just shows how, how much of a distracted society we're living in. And we have the ability to take our phone and put it upside down. And if when we can learn, teach that within our classroom, you know, I can say, Hey, you're becoming an adult, but you are fortunate that you have me to be able to be here to suggest things, to show that I care. 
um, I suggest you turn your phone over. I suggest you put your phone into your backpack. I'm not one of those teachers who has one of those shoe organizers and you, when you walk in, put your phone in, because that's not going to happen in the real world. That's not going to happen in college. And so the more I can instill in the habits of focusing on what are our weaknesses and strengths when it comes to technology, the stronger they will be when they get out and graduate from high school, whether again, it's vocation or in college. There was a study done years ago at MIT of how good of a multitasker are you? And all these students at MIT, technology-based school, they all believe they're this phenomenal multitasker, meaning that they're sitting in class, they have their computer out, which means that how many tabs they have open when it comes to social media, taking notes, uh, then you have your phone and texting. Are you actually taking it? You are surrounded. And they did a you know an experiment of, seeing how well multitaskers are and they all failed miserably. As much as we think we're a great multitasker, we're not. And so the more we can eliminate those distractions, um, focus on what works for you. If typing your notes out and creating that outline is works for you, do it. But if writing on a piece of paper with a pen and color coding, do it. And that's what I do in my class. Whatever works for you, you do it. You do you. And that's the most important thing. But when I see when you're starting to struggle, seeing your grades or your attention span start to dwindle, then we're going to have a conversation. But those conversations are not going to be college. They're not going to be happening in the workforce. They're going to, they're not going to be great conversations. They'll happen, but they're not going to be good conversations with a good ending result for you. And so, you know, that's where I have the honor of teaching them life because it's, you know, Am I sitting at the kitchen table, having my phone out and being present or not present with my daughters and knowing what happened with their school day um, to what happened with my husband or just taking a mental break for myself? Uh, and so that's, you know, it's it's still a distraction for me. It's something that I, again, have to talk to myself about as well, to making sure that I'm focusing on me and doing what works for me and focusing on them and what works for them. Well, what a great conversation to have with them, though, too, while they're in high school before they get to college. And then it's almost too late to observe those learned behaviors and then learn how to manage that for themselves. Uh, have you noticed throughout your career as a teacher kind of a shift in students' adaptation to digital learning? I know we had to see it really fast with the pandemic, but I mean, now Gen Z, we're seeing a generation full of kids who've grown up with an iPhone or an iPad in their hands. So it seems like they might be more inclined to use those types of things to learn? What have you observed there? You know, just taking off my teacher hat really quickly and just looking at my daughters who are in second and fifth grade. So my youngest started kindergarten at the height of COVID. And that was a really scary time, which means that they are in a classroom while sitting at a kitchen table and seeing their teacher that they're supposed to be listening to where I could just shut the Chromebook and say, I'm done. You know, it's really fascinating of how they've learned responsibilities and structure, which is we've learned in our lives of how important structure is. And, and my daughter, I hate my daughters did grow up with tablets and iPads, but I've limited it and understanding when it is needed and when it's not. But I also understand that the society we live in is that overstimulation? They need the constant movement. I need the constant movement. And so 
when I now seeing it with my my daughters, seeing how my the teachers have interacted with them differently, the different activities, um, you know, being able to go onto the Chromebooks and play games as long as it's educational and they're getting something out of it. Um, that is when, you know, we're seeing it being much more effective. Now in my classroom, I'm still seeing, especially with my higher level learning students, they prefer a book. They want to turn that page still, um, which is really fascinating because they are generation Z, but they still like that feeling. Um, you know, whether it's a Kindle or a library book, I would still say that a higher person would prefer the library book. They want that textbook. They want to flip that page uh, and have easier control over it. Uh, but when it comes to projects, when it comes to um, researching, they love that technology because it gives them so many more opportunities and possibilities that were never available for myself. If I had to go research aardvarks, I had to go to my basement find the A encyclopedia, come <laughs> through it and read a paragraph where now they can go watch an aardvark and that you're hitting every sense that allows us in looking at the difference of learners. You have the audio learners and the visual learners and the kinesthetic learners and the musical inclined learners. And so we're able to reach more of our students at such a different level of thinking at a higher rate then, okay, I'm going to focus on kinesthetic learners right now. And then I can move. No, here is the, your responsibility. I'm going to keep it open-ended. Here are the requirements, fulfill it. And it's that, I'm going to go back to my old days, choose your own adventure, <laughs> take your own journey of how you get from point A to point D. That's fantastic. And I hadn't thought of it in that way before that you do have people that learn differently. So you may have somebody that learns better reading about something in a book, but you may also have somebody else who wants to watch it and visually, you know, absorb whatever it is they're learning about. And I know that you were recently uh, featured in USA Today and you were talking about tech at school and how educators can maximize using digital tools. So are there certain digital tools in your classroom that you you've kept post COVID that you feel like work well with students now? The biggest thing is consistency. Um, when COVID hit, we didn't know, you know, which platform we should be using, you know, whether it's Zoom or Google Classroom. And so creating consistency has helped. Uh, we are a Google Classroom based district. And so we utilize Google Classroom, which just puts everything in one place. Um, whereas my daughter's district, they use Schoolology. And so the biggest thing for a school district is being consistent. I might not agree with it, but that's what we need is consistency. So students know exactly what's happening, where is it happening and how easily accessible it is. And so Google Classroom has been prime location where I make it easy. Everything is located right there. I also have my own website that I've had um, specifically for my AP psychology class to give as many resources as possible um, for all the content. Um, to give them another outlet, which is really important. And then review games. It is no longer we're going to sit and play Jeopardy. It is Quizlet to Kahoot to uh, Kratov. And my goal is, is to not just use the same thing because it might work for some, but it might not work for others. So we might play Quizlet live here, which is really fun and, you know, getting them moving. Whereas some just want I just want to kind of do my own thing. I have a lot of independent thinkers. 
Um, and they kind of want, so I allow them to go again, do what works for them. But if it's not working, then we're going to have that conversation to figure out how we can become much more efficient when it comes to studying. But my goal is, is to provide uh, ample amounts of opportunity when we're together as a class. And then when you're home by yourself, um, that there are different ways that you can review and learn that information, um, you know, which is and crash courses is a really big thing, especially in the higher levels where it's a 10 minute, we're going to just spark notes of it's a video of being able to talk differently than what I've heard so much from my, from my teacher every day. Yeah, so it sounds like it's just technology and different types of games or different types of tools that you can use. It's just another tool in the toolbox for those different types of learners. Yeah, and it's, you know, making class interesting and keeping them engaged. Again, Generation Z, they can't sit there for a 60-minute time period. You've got to continue switching it up. And so, you know, teaching a college-based course, I need to add in and hit all of my learners. There might be quick clips. There might be, uh, you know, something, a hands-on lab for that day, an experiment or clip art or different colors, but making it very precise. Um, you know, we're, we're still in this, we're moving from PowerPoints to slide decks, AKA they are the same thing, but how we present them is going to be much more interactive and much more engaging, uh, making sure that it is very clear and concise of the information that we're presenting um, and that we're providing it audibly, visually, kinesthetically um, to be able to hit majority of our learners. That's awesome. And I think especially for the field of psychology and teaching psychology, um, you have such a great perspective on this type of stuff. And uh, the last thing I will ask you is we are the Access Success Podcast. So would you care to share a recent success story of yours, whether it be um, with a student or something that was outside the classroom that you'd like to share? Uh, you know, with the School's starting today. Um, <laughs> I've been in preseason since August one. And my goal is, is I don't coach for wins and losses. I coach to take these young females who started my program to build them up into these strong, independent women who leave my program, whether it's to go to college or go to in the workforce or go into the military, that they can stand on their own two feet and they're able to make decisions and put themselves first when needed. And this year we um, focus, We read a book and it was by Abby Wambeck, who is, who some might not know, but she is one of the best women's soccer players of all time and who has been a driving force for women equality, not just in soccer, but in the world in general. And she wrote this phenomenal book. It's a quick read called Wolfpack. And it talks about demanding more and it's that demanding what we deserve, whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever you look like, everyone deserves life. And it is teaching them, um, whether it's my student athletes or my students or my daughters or whoever, that you just have to demand of yourself, demand more of others and demand more of our society. And we've taken on uh, the saying demand more period. Like you have to, whether it's on the court, in the classroom, at the grocery store, it's all about the character and how we exemplify 
ourselves. That is our true identity. And that helps me, you know, with my journey that it's not our physical characteristics. It's not having hair or no hair or whatever it may be. It's how you treat one another. And that book, if, and it's a quick read, it's only like 88 pages and is the quickest read ever, but it, <laughs> the impact that it has is it's life-changing. That's phenomenal. And I, I didn't know she was an author, but I did recently read a book from her life, Lennon yeah, Doyle. Untamed. Yes. And it was fantastic. So I'll have to pick that up because I really enjoyed reading Untamed. So I'm sure I would enjoy that. And it's um, really fascinating that we're talking about technology, but I went back to a book. <laughs> right. You always go back to that good read and having that book in your hand and what those words on those pages can do for you. Absolutely. And I know that your words just at your different speaking engagements too, and through stories that we shared, whether it was local news or, you know, different ones you've done with national outlets, those have certainly reached and inspired many people also. So again, it was so great speaking with you. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to keep up with your journey or if they would like to um, keep up with you on social media? Well, thank you so much for having me. It is always great seeing you and calling you my friend. Uh, I would love to connect and people can reach me just through my website, McKennaWrites.com. Uh, I would love to connect with them uh, in any way. And I'm on all social media as well. Excellent. I love keeping up with your LinkedIn posts too. So <laughs> I'm glad we could connect again today. See you, McKenna. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Access Success Podcast produced by Access U, a division of Access Advertising and Public Relations. Find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram to keep up with what the world of education needs to hear at AccessU Agency and connect with us at accessu.com. Let's do something big.